You are now about to witness those medals on the wall. The awesome crushing ah. The kid is sleeping, so I can't scream. Might of the U.G.S. Robinson Show. Welcome, my friends, to a show that seemingly never ends. This is version of two, two, four of the UGS Robinson Showstopper. Now I'm going to shit on that, Mr. Is, right quick, fast, in a hurry. Version number <laughs> two, two, four, or two, four, four. Who can tell? It's two, two, four. First, we're going to let Bob sing us in as he has. Every week since 2007, it's Stigmata, and the record is the Calling of the Just, and the song is called Intro All of Nothing. Bob Riley is a singer, still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California, where they shoot you to death in a nightclub, hit your car with a hammer, and run your mayor pro tem out of town. But first, I'm going to spray some smell. It's all about set and setting aromatherapy so I can crap all over Mr. Easy's contention at the top of the show. But I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. Or being paid back and for always nothing. All right. We got a lot to get to, so we're going to get to it. Uh, And uh, let's just do the commercials out of the way so it doesn't seem weird and and crass and commercial. Pinko, P-I-N-K-O. 95014 95014 at yahoo.com. If you want to PayPal money for the show, patreon.com slash the stomper, uh, Eugene dash Robinson uh, dash 28. If you want to do, I think it's Cash App or Planet Oxbow. If you want to do uh, 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 Venmo, it's all run together P L A N E T O X B O W. Or if you want to send it, uh, nice B-Town. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to send it the old-fashioned way, it's P.O. Box. I'm going to speak slowly now. 19271, Stanford, California, 94309. So let's get to this right away because we have a sober and sobering occasion to open the show with. If you've been reading your Instagram or been paying attention or not exclusively, just excuse, uh, uh, 
exclusively just an MMA guy and pay attention to uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know that Leandro Lowe was shot to death last night in Brazil. Apparently, the information... Um, oh, yeah, man. Here, I'm going to write it, bro, because I don't want to go into... The, I never see that stuff if it goes to the wrong box. It, it's bad enough as it is that the guy, one of the guys in the post office had figured out that I was doing uh, uh, that I was doing movies and TV. So he started opening my mail that looked like scripts. It's like, bro, how's that benefit you? You know, were you going to show up for an audition like me? Um, so anyway, Leandro Lowe was shot to death last night. The details insofar as I've been able to glean, if you don't know who he is, a cursory examination of Google will let you know it's a hot shit jujitsu player. But my understanding is that he was at a bar slash restaurant in Brazil. Um, a drunken off-duty cop attempted to uh, take something off of his table by way of a drink. Words were exchanged that may have included, may or may not have included a beatdown. The cop uh, subsequently went home and returned with a firearm and shot him dead. And that's all I know, right? Uh, 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 this is this is actual in actual fact all I know, and I'd like to uh, 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 my you know uh, the guy's like 32 years old, um, not what he was expecting, and and we lost uh, we lost a good one, uh, lost lost a great one. So, uh, but you know people get shot all the time. I'm not a sentimentalist necessarily about you know one guy, but I I do want to I do want to. I do want to underscore a few things. And um, and this is in lieu of not understanding any of the details or having it firsthand. I've got Sorrell on it trying to find stuff out. So maybe I could write something about it. But I'm sitting in, uh, in uh, London. I bought a bottle of wine in London. And I'm sitting somewhere outside on a marble bench. I don't even remember where. I got tired of walking, sat down and put the bottle of wine next to me. I was on a marble bench. I mean, I think I was seeing some, it wasn't a tourist place, but I think I was seeing something worthwhile or was on my way to do so, leaving the tape. Got tired, sat down, put the bottle of wine next to me. I see a guy walking along the sidewalk. The guy peeps me and starts walking over. Uh, he's um, He's brown. I don't. I can't. He could be Middle Eastern. If he was in America, I say Mexican. The Mexican. He could be biracial. Don't know. Starts making his way for me. I'm figuring the best. You know, say hi or something. Meet. Make a new friend. And the guy um, starts to reach out, and I start to reach out my hand because I think he's like, oh, recognizes the guy from Oxbow or whatever. And he reaches, looks at me, reaches past my hand and starts going for the bottle of wine. I go, whoa, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? The New Yorker in me comes out right away. I grab my bottle of wine. What the fuck are you doing? He goes, no, nah, bro. I left that here last night. And he had a British accent. I go, you left it here last night. Let me tell you something. If you left that here last night and there are guys like you walking around this neighborhood, how likely do you think it would still be here? And he was like, no, bro, it's mine. I cover my hand in the label. I go... What kind of wine is it? He's like, well, I, I put it behind my back and I say, uh, hey, uh, I say, hey, uh, here's here, for, for the hundred dollar question. Is it red or is it white? 
Well, uh, no, what bottle did you leave here yesterday? Because now I'm thinking I'm going to rob him. Well, you know, I was drinking. So not that bottle, but something. And so the guy was like, well, maybe it wasn't mine. Maybe the fuck it wasn't yours. Are you out of your mind? Get out of here. Beat it. He didn't like the way I was talking to him, right? I've become a New Yorker. I just get the fuck out. You, You open the door into me. So as far as I'm concerned, I didn't invite you in. You get what you get, which is whatever I want to give you. And the guy was like, you don't have to be rude. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Beat it. And then I sat there for like another half an hour. Now, I don't know where that guy lived. I don't know what he drove to get there. I look at it as a personal failing on my part to not anticipate that like Shaka Zulu said, never leave an enemy alive to later fly at your throat. Now, what was I gonna, at that point, what was I going to do to vouchsafe my, vouchsafe my continued safety? Was I going to beat him to death? Well, that seems disproportionately incorrect. That seems disproportionate and incorrect. That's right. He's right. Exactly. You came up to me. But I sat there for a half an hour, and let's call that the killing half an hour, because I guarantee you, whatever happened to Leandro Lowe, uh, when the guy, look, it was an honest mistake. Maybe the guy was drunk. Usually with drunks, my MO is like this. And usually I'm only engaging with drunks who are amusing drunks, because the way it works is they're being drunk and amusing. I'm responding to the amusing. They see me being responding to the amusing and go, oh, my God, I've got an audience. They get the audience that they need, and then they latch on, which is fine. But they're not nearly as funny as they think they are. Stand-up comedy is not for everybody in literary terms. We call this foreshadowing. So inevitably, they have crossed the line. And then I typically, in a very polite fashion, say, "Um, I've had enough. You can talk to someone else now. That's what we call a close encounter of the first kind. That's me at my most polite. But they don't believe me. And so they'll push it a second time. And I said, listen, man, I stopped laughing about five minutes ago. There are plenty of other people here who might appreciate this. Why don't you go talk to them? Oh, now you're giving me the... And now we're in the red zone. You know... The guy, I wrote about this guy, was telling me about the Purple Gang. Man, I'm going to get the Purple Gang. I've been Purple Gang. And the guy's on the ground. And instantaneously, instantaneously, everybody who was standing around the sidewalk at that point looks at me like, are you out of your fucking mind, Eugene? Oh, I'm crazy. I should just put up with all sorts of random abuse because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings? How about this? How about your face and your feelings? However, the mistake I made again was knocking this guy out and standing there. I'm in Portland, Maine. You've heard this story before. You can't don a shillelagh me on my own show, but I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Two guys after the Red Sox beat the Yankees 19-2. Two guys flip out, accost me. I beat up one guy. The other guy runs off. Other guy's passed out. Then he wakes him up, and then he runs off. And I just continue doing what I'm doing, hanging out. John, the promoter, 
John Altoff, if you live in Portland, Maine, and know him, I says, usually you got you get get the fuck out of here. Well, what were you talking about? Get out. I, I want to get her back in and get a drink. No, 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 no. You got to get out of here. So the third time I'm making the Leandro Lowe mistake, it's like I've dispensed with my responsibilities. I just do you do I look in John's eyes. And in John John's eyes, I see two things. I see no give and I see concern. And I understand that there's nobody else to be concerned about but me. He's not concerned for him. And I'm getting the car and I'm grousing. I go, I guess apparently it's against the law to knock someone out. Someone who threw a can at you, who spit at you, who, you know, uh, 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 you know, so we get in the car and drive off, drive to an IHOP, a, a little bit outside of Portland, Maine, on the way back down to wherever this Boston. And some guys are getting into a fight outside of IHOP. And one guy says, I have to warn you, I'm an underground cage fighter, which, of course, is absolutely the wrong thing to say at three o'clock in the morning at an IHOP on the, on the, on the, on the throughway. Because if you know New Englanders... <laughs> This is an immediate cause for amusement. They go, you're an underground cage fighter. What the fuck does that mean? Well, you fight squirrels or, or, or moles or ground animals or ground squirrels. You live in a cage underground? <laughs> and it was clear that the guy wasn't a, a cage fighter at all anyway. So then I'm sitting there amused. It's a parking lot with ready access to their cars. I'm there with Nico, uh, Oxbow's guitar player, and he says, let's go. I'm like, what the fuck? This is like behind the, the juniper bushes behind the 7-Eleven. We're about to see a fight with an underground cage fighter. Let's stop. And now he's like, no, 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 no. Generally now, part of my Boy Scouts ethos, that is being prepared, will involve leaving the scene of the crime before it turns into another crime. Now, Leandro Lowe has nothing to worry about. I don't mean now that he's dead. I meant prior to him being dead. He had nothing to worry about. I am the, one of the best jujitsu players in the world. Like Ho Jogain said, that's fucking serious. I've got very little to fear. You know, there's a guy who, who uh, we used to affectionately call Mr. 187. I didn't call him that. I called him Mr. Uh, uh, um, uh, Tossin. He was San Jose, uh, 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 whatever they call it, uh, chapter chief of the Hells Angels. There was a shootout in a casino, famous. You can see it on YouTube uh, in Tahoe. And there was a running gun battles from Tahoe back to the Bay Area. And the guy from San Francisco, I could have the facts wrong was shot and killed. I believe his name was Jethro. The guy who was his bodyguard was being disciplined. At Jethro's funeral, Tossin turns around. Tossin, a semi-pro boxer, who had killed two guys, not in the ring, but during the course of his time as a bouncer at the club that used to work right across town from the club, I bounced at the Pink Pussycat, drunken uh, uh, patrons 
outside, made the claim he was defending himself, got off twice. Tossin turns around, punches uh, uh, Jethro's bodyguard, knocks him out at, at Jethro's funeral. So I'll deal with you later. Turns back around to hear the priest or whoever is giving the homely, the, the guy comes to, stands up, shoots Tossin in the back of the head, kills him at the Hells Angels funeral. I've written about this. On the one hand, out of all people, Tossin should know, should know. On the other hand, in the heat of the moment, we don't know. Especially those guys who are, are used to being high up on the food chain. Lions don't ever expect to get beaten by monkeys, but it happens. So uh, Tossin is dead. The police come in, say, did you see anything? 400 Hells Angels at this funeral. Nobody saw a thing. Okay, yeah, I got you. Leandro Lowe is dead. I got you. Life lessons for those of us still living, moving into the future. After you're, you're, if you are in the middle of a crime scene, which an assault is, and you are able to do so, completely leave the crime scene as soon as you can. Repeat that to yourself so that next time you're in a position, there's no point in staying. What are you going to beat somebody, knock them unconscious, urinate on the body, and have a drink? No, you get you get up and get out. Or like Biggie said, once I see the semen, I'm leaving. It Look, it doesn't make any sense in this context, but it makes total sense in this context. So I'd like to say this show is for Leandro Lowe. I, I know he wouldn't approve of the show. <laughs> so, so I'm going to leave the scene of the crime. Um, um, you might be wondering, which is what I said when I showed up at the warden, the, the, the warden's house at Sing Sing Prison, because I was dating his daughter in posing trunks. I'm writing my memoir now, so all this stuff is coming back to me fresh-like. I said, so I suppose you wonder why I'm dressed this way. He goes, no. I go, great. I said nothing else about it. I suppose you wonder why... My hair is suddenly no longer gray. But you realize I had a show. And so I dyed my hair for the show because I wanted to look like Dracula. Yeah. You know, your stage is shocker. And I did the shows with uh, uh, Bunuel. I didn't dye. I, I did dye it before the show, but then screwed up the order. So it wasn't black like like that night. It was, uh, it was brown. After this, the 2023 look, which is Oxbow's year, will be completely different. You all here will know it first. I try to maintain some distinction between the shows. So whenever we do the shows, no, no, I've died before. Forever, well, but since, no, not in the last 10 years. I, this is the first time I've used dye in like about 15, 11 years, 12 years, because it causes cancer. So I got, I got creeped out. Screw it. Stick with the gray. And that's what my hair guy said. Stick with the gray. You're fine. I'm fine. But I want to do something slightly different because it creates this veil of confusion that shows people don't, even though, yeah, I'm going to go see Oxbow or I'm going to see Bunuel. I know it's a black guy, but they're not quite sure. Maybe he's touring with his brother. Maybe he has a friend. Maybe they got a black roadie. I don't know. It's just, I just need that few seconds. This ties into Leandro. You just need that few seconds. Like, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I got to be faster than you. Just a few seconds. So that's why before every tour, I slightly change up the hair, the approach, wear a hat, don't wear a hat. You're not quite sure. 
Why? Because people are looking for me. That's what I'm saying. People who are angry. Who, if they're crazy and angry, should be looking for me. That's the point. So that's why the hair is like this. Because what did I have on Friday night? I had the comedy show. Now, none of you within the sound of my voice right now, you guys would have sat there at the show gone, Donna Shalala, Donna Shalala, Donna Shalala. Don. So none of this stuff is new to you. However, at a winery, with the average age being 60 and many of them being older than that and, you know, from the looks of it, divorcees, you might imagine that this show transposed to a lot. <laughs> transposed to a live format. <laughs> uh, might be an experiment uh, uh, in uh, a curious experiment in that game that uh, me and sports agent extraordinaire Salvatore Russo once spoke of. What would it take? <laughs> I opened the show with, hello, I'm Eugene, and I'm a sex addict. It's like so it was a few titters. So I go, hey, hey, if this is the program, you know, the proper response is, hi, Eugene. And so the whole audience plays along. They go, oh, hi, Eugene. And I go, you know, I, I don't really know what to do with my hands at these things. You know, I don't know. Pocket or, or vigorously masturbate over the first few rows. I don't know. I don't know. And it, uh, it goes uphill or downhill from there. Let me have to say that if you watch his show, though you may have heard all the stories before, you would have been dying. Half because the stories were actually funny, but the other half, you would be both laughing at and with. The other part of the goof are, of course, the audience who are like, mm, did he just say he shot up heroin? And, and my mother said, don't talk about the heroin. So I said, you know, my mother said, don't talk about the heroin. So anyway, after I took a bunch of heroin, <laughs> you know, and it's it's a farming community, you know, winery. Uh, I mean, I, these places were hit hard with you know opioid deaths. I have to say honestly, I don't care. You got what you paid for. I guess they bought tickets. I did it for free. Um, so uh, we'll get to Warner Brothers in a bit. Not right now. So uh, so this was the comedy routine for which I dyed my hair and for which I did 10 minutes. Now, the headliner was this woman named um, Lori Kilmartin, who was a writer, I guess, on the Conan show. She's been on Comedy Central. She's been on Mark Marin. She has a book out called Dead People Suck. And she did a routine about uh, her mother dying from COVID, her father dying from cancer, and her multiple abortions, which was absolutely hilarious. And also, uh, uh, Tella... Telecremation, which is how she got rid of her mother's body during COVID. Somebody she met on Instagram who does cremations. <laughs> she was very funny. I went back to my seat. I didn't know who she was after this thing. And it was like Moses in the Red Sea after finishing. You get off the stage and then, thank you very much. My time is up. Oh, did I mention that Akasha was also part of the show? I introduced her as my sex addiction sponsor and she in fully in the spirit of comedy engaged showed up dressed like a hooker. 
ah, what can I say? You know, at the very least, I got to get through the day amusing myself. She was dying. I was dying. We had a great time. It's perfect. Perfect, perfect. But as we're walking through the crowd, it's like people don't want to establish eye contact because you don't know what's going to happen, which is kind of the same. You don't know. You don't know. Um, and so my friend who booked me, he played after me and, uh, and his, 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 his entire act was actually, it was great. We're sitting right kind of behind to the left of his wife and his entire act was about how crappy his marriage is. It was really, it was really a delightfully subverse evening of uncomfortability, um, aided and abetted by the fact that the power went out during Lori's set. And one of the other wineries had an 80s tribute band. So she was trying to get her jokes through while the guys were doing uh, covers of uh, Shall I Stay or Shall I Go uh, and, and uh, uh, Guns N' Roses tunes, 80s, 90s. So it was, it was, it was very, very, very funny, funny, uh, funny. So I wrote about it. I wrote about it on the, on the, on the Substack, which if you subscribe to it, which you can do for free, You've already read. The point behind the comedy was, you know, I say there are three types of comedy. There's Bill Burr, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, where they're not, I'm standing behind a microphone, but I don't really give a shit whether you find this stuff funny or not. I need to tell some essential truths that might be dark, but that underscore the absurdity of, of, of real, of, in general, of reality. And then you have comedians who um, who uh, do something kind of sticky. The difference between black people and white people, and the, the you know that they're, they're those. I don't like clearly don't like those as much, but I recognize they might have a valid look. Jerry Seinfeld, you know, have you ever noticed the elevator button? Okay, I got you. And then there's the, the third category, which I like the least, which are people who are aping the form of that second category and not nearly quite as effective. These people are ingratiating, crawling, approval-seeking desperados, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Bill Hicks is clearly in the first category. Also aided in a bit of by dying. Comedians that die usually get lionized because they don't, you know, how do I know? Uh, George Carlin was way more popular since he died than when he knew before he was dead. How come there's no blue food? I remember his routines. <laughs> I don't love him as much until he died. So what I found interesting was this whole idea that I told you this before. There was a case in which we interviewed Brandon Iron, the male porn star. And Brandon Iron had a... Uh, he had a, um, he's retired now. Um, and he um, had a moment in one of, he, before we interviewed him, he, gives, he sent us a reel. And there's this, um, it, uh, I, it's, it's, it's you sleeping state. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine. He, he, he said, um, he had this reel. And in one of the reels, he was squirting a woman with a water gun. They were, they were just goofing off on set. It was a real, he had a bunch of stuff on the real. And he, and I was like, that is the purest, sexiest moment in the whole reel. And we talked about that in the, in the interview. And, and I, I thought it to be so, 
And I said it at the time, I thought to be so because 100% guaranteed, not fake. And I've gotten into an argument with people before about my authenticity thing. Well, Hollywood is premised on this idea. Well, hey, listen, sincerity is everything. And once you got that fake, you got it made. Why does it mean so much to me? I don't know. I don't want to waste my time being in a place if you're not also in that place. And that's the thing about the show. I met people on the road when I did this tour with Bunuel who watched the show and very clearly understand the difference between real and not real. Right? So if we're not there together, there's no reason for me to be there alone. That's why I dig authenticity, because it means that we're there together. That moment where he squirts his co-star with the squirt gun and she, you know, flinches like, ah, in macro and in micro, that was a super real moment. 99% of people who you squirt in the face with a squirt gun will do the same thing and will have the same childhood orientation about the perception that it's fun or not. They will they will perceive it as being a fun thing, except for Jesse Rubens who I squirted with a, a water pistol in 1979 and he be, uh, attacked me and I had to beat him up. Jesse Rubens was on the wrestling team and could easily have beaten me, but for the cast that was on his arm. I was pulled off of him by another wrestler who pulled him off, pulled me off of him while simultaneously pinning my arms behind me. This would be Adam Davis. And I said to Adam Davis, I like the way you pulled me off of him. Jesse, to his credit, didn't take an opportunity to, to club me with his arm. I don't know why he even attacked me with his arm. It was not like I squirted him in the eyes. It was just like, generally, hey, Jesse, squirt, squirt, boom. But he processed it as disrespectful and attacked. It's fine. That's what I talk about to open the Substack. Talk about the Jason Derulo attack in the airport where they were like, yo, Usher, boom, just attacks. And I believe that somehow stand-up comedy or anything presentational should have that same superpower. You've economized. And I talk about this in, in, in regard to the use of racial invective in one of the old substacks. Like people always expect that you're going to get exercised about. It. All you say to me when you use that kind of stuff with me is one, that you're not very smart, and two, that you, you want to fight, but you can't figure out how to communicate that. So I usually just step around. I go, there's no need to degrade the enterprise with this extra stuff. Are, are you saying that you want to fight? Because that's all you have to say, really. Then we can do that. And I'm like, oh, well, I know what I meant was, oh, but I'm not racist. <laughs> okay. I'm not interested in philosophy. Are we going to engage in this activity or not? If we're not, good luck to you. Have a nice night. Anyway. Anyway. The fights last night, speaking of nice night, you know, uh, Steph, I just got off, you know, I start, to start Sunday with jujitsu. Then I go to, I go to um, uh, care, don't care preview. I'm not in the habit of really cheating, cheating the show. There were two cares in this, two cares in it. Uh, I cared about, uh, uh, um, I cared about the, the co-main and the main. But as has happened, I watched all the fights. I think I missed one heavy, one of the heavyweight fights. And that must have been when I was putting the kid to bed. But I can just carry it on the phone, carry it around, stick it in my pocket, listen to it if I'm not actually watching it. So I watch them all. On Care, Don't Care, next week, I think I have five cares on the, on, on, on the fight. Doesn't mean I'm going to be watching it live, but I may. But Steph was like, look, she was angry and upset. And she, she came in number one in the week. She says, but look, we have for the, for the second time ever in the history of the UFC, 
Not a single one of the fights went to judges. It was a great night of fights. And I was like, oh, really? Really? If you watch that show, I'm going to say very much what I said now. Do you know of this magazine called Playboy Magazine? And to a certain degree, the pipe is a tribute to the guy who starred the Playboy Magazine and my father smoked the pipe for years. And J.R. Bob Dobbs. And on Playboy Magazine, somehow in the 70s, they start asking questions to the playmates that were rather routine questions. And the questions they started asking the playmates, because somehow they felt the world had a hunger for this, it's all contextualized. Have you ever noticed that porn just doesn't start with fucking? They give it some sort of context. The most hilarious one present day, if you pay attention to any pornography at all, is I was putting the clothes in the washing machine and I got stuck. I've had washing machines my entire life. And uh, yes, uh, Mr. Is, uh, and I've never gotten stuck inside of a washing machine. Okay. It's a conceit. You need it. It's a, if you've ever had friends who are sex workers, or if you've ever been to a sex worker, do you know you don't just walk in the door and begin pounding. You There's some version of normalcy. You, you interact with a fellow human being before doing something. I can go into McDonald's and not interact with anybody. I can point to fries, they say fries, nod my head, throw the money down, throw the money down, get my shit and walk out. But a lot of this other stuff, you have to interact. You have to interact, right? So um, somehow they decide that they needed to have this interaction so they could get people closer. It's playmates on paper, but want to get them closer. So they started asking them, what do you hope to achieve after this? Now, Barbie Benton, Hugh Hefner's first major girlfriend as a result of the magazine, who had become semi-famous, Battle of the Network star, starring Barbie Benton, said to start saying the same thing in the 70s. I stopped reading Playboy magazine or getting it or seeking it out or jumping into dumpsters behind 7-Eleven to secure copies probably when um, 79 when the possibility of sexual contacts became more probable. I started fucking in uh, 77 and thought, wow, isn't it great? I'm writing this in the memoir now. Isn't it great? This is going to be a regular part of my life now. Guess again. So uh, they started asking the playmates. I started asking them, well, what do you hope to achieve this? Well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for, uh, I'm doing it for my career. Huh, for your career. Okay, in the history of, of, of Playboy magazine, I will gamble that, you know, Marilyn Monroe, who was one of the first, and he had to buy those pictures from somebody that she had already done for somebody else. So it wasn't like she showed up. And it was post her having a career, which is why it was a big deal. Barbie Benton. She had a little singing career, had a record out, then Battle Network stars. Shannon Tweed, who you might remember most because she was married to Gene Simmons for many years. And that's it. This was a monthly magazine that existed from like 1953 to like last year or two years ago. At what point do you think people stopped thinking that it was really going to do fucking anything for their careers? 
So I'm telling that story today on Care Don't Care. And Steph or John, like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't get it. I don't, what are you, what are you talking about? Jenny McCarthy, there you go, thank you. Okay, four. Look, let's just say the magazine was around for 10 months, for 10 years. That's 120. That's four out of 120. Those are not good odds. And the magazine was out for way longer than that. So when I see all these cats from the Dana White Contender Series, uh, the Ultimate Fighter, and these names I haven't seen before, and it's clear that they've all read the memo because not a single one went, who read the memo that said, what, what, what the bald one hates it hates when you don't have a, an opponent picked out because that's where the fight starts getting built. So they all had their call outs in place and they were all such eager beavers and they were all such, you know, company willing and they all had their little sticks down and I found it heartbreaking. All right. Oh, Jenny, uh, who, uh, uh, Anna Nicole Smith, she was a guest girl before she, she, she was not a playmate first. So not everybody gets a bonus, but the Nelk brothers, boys, get $250,000 and fuck you. I can do whatever I want with my money. Give it to the Nelk brothers or Brazilian hookers, as he has done. I, I tweeted back to the bald one. Fuck you. I fu no, not fuck me. Fuck you. You know, you're also concerned about All-American. What we have to talk about when we talk about All-American is what? The spirit of fair play. So, you know, and they're all making the right noises. The guy Bobby calls out uh, calls out Ian McGarry, which is a good, uh, Ian McGarry, good, good call out. Or Brian Barbarino, that's a good call out. That wasn't one of the fights I cared about, but I watched that guy. But they're also giving him, they're giving him the African-American version of uh, Sage Northbrook. What? Sage Northbrook. What? Sage Northbrook. He's not perceived generally as All-America, but he's like, we can cross-sell this guy into an ethnic market, but he's a light-skinned cat. He's handsome. Seems to be fairly conversative. We kind of like him. He's got the Midwest appeal. He's humble, and he does whatever we say. He does whatever we say. And I love, I love uh, 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 Jamal Hill, but clearly... He's on that same doing whatever they say. They say stick, love his stick, love his mother's story, the whole family thing, the you know disappeared father. And he's like, I'll show him. I'll show him. I love this. And he did something that Johnny Boney Joni didn't do. Now, when I saw the package for Santos, I was like, dude's done. I've been a first time father too, man. It just everything else is like I got one job and one good job only. And that's to protect this little kid's got nothing but me. And this shit getting my head beaten, not sustainable. I need something I can do to get her to college. I need to, I can't, can't play these games. I got, you know, I saw that package with him being the doting father and know how transformative it is to have a kid. I'm like, forget it. He's not winning this fight. He's hungry, just a different type of hungry. Jamal Hill is that type of hungry. And so you have all these quasi company people beating their fucking brains out and they don't get the bonuses. <laughs> I mean, keep in mind with the money that he gave Nelk brothers, that would have covered what? How much you give him? $250,000? 50, 100, 150, 200, 
250. That would have fit taking care of five fighters on the card. Why would you not do this? You do not do this because this is about sending a message. And that message is what you said when you tweeted out, fuck you, or in the press comes, fuck you, I can do what I want with my money. Fundamentally, that's probably why he's not divorced now. Do you think, unlike those that story I told about the mafia guys who when, uh, the, when the, uh, they were busting these guys for Rico and trying to get him to roll and they couldn't get him to roll and these guys were like, fuck, I'll stay in jail. And they go, well, if you don't want to answer these questions, we'll just take your phone records to your wife and ask her if they can identify these numbers. And those guys played ball fast. Hardcore killers, guys who had made their bones started talking because they don't want to have to deal with the, the reality of these cops going to their wives and going, do you recognize this number? It seems to appear a lot on your husband's log. No, I don't recognize it, but let me call it. No. To think about the bald one being beyond that is mind-blowing. So what? You can't blackmail me. It's like that guy, <laughs> that movie uh, uh, Facing the Crowd with Andy Griffith. When he, try, when he catches his manager having sex with his wife and he's, you're fired. He goes, I own 51% of Lonesome Road. You can't fire me. He looks at the wife and goes, well, you don't own 51% of shit. You're fired. <laughs> he fires his wife. So I'm watching. I didn't know this until today. But my memories of the fight went overnight from positive to like, oh, I got you. Because I thought for sure, second time in UFC history that this happened. The second time. Not a single judging thing. I wish I could hear Sal the model's name and you're like, ha, no Dan Mergliata on the seat. Ha, we're going to have all of the fights were actually fairly entertaining. With these bushy-tailed, bushy bright-eyed young prospects, you know, leaving their mark. And some that might actually, Jamal Hill. He remember we talk about you open the door into your wheelhouse, and the key is to give away the least amount of information possible. Like we've never, I, I still don't think even in his eked out victories over Dominic Reyes, Santos, and Gustafson, I still don't think that we had a Johnny Boney Joni who was dipping down over sixty percent. Whether that sixty percent was because he wasn't picogramming or he was high the night before, whatever. I don't think we've ever seen him do an 80%. He's no, uh, he's no, uh, 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 who's the cat that's fighting Dominic Cruz this weekend? That guy seems to dig down every single fight. Way, uh, 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 way down, uh, uh, Marlon Vera, way down above 60%. But Jamal Hill, I get, because all of a sudden the guy's trying to take him down and dude's popping up and not fatigued at all, doing it with, a facility and a plumb. Like, how the fuck is that happening? How is that happening? Can he wrestle? Can he? Can he? Uh, can he? Can he? How is his jujitsu? We don't know. We don't know because he didn't let us know because he didn't need to let us know to beat Santos. So this is a guy. When I remember when he first called out uh, uh, Johnny Bonajoni, I was like, "Yeah, get out of here." You know, there's only a, a, a five-inch reach distance between them. That's about another fist, but still. But I've never seen Johnny Bonajoni knock anybody out with a punch. 
you know, he's a heavyweight now, but yeah, you go where the money is. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a changing guard eventually. What we want is to be there when it happens. That's really what we want. But if I got to wait three years for that or I, or I have to watch the Baldwin, uh, Nick Diaz, I'm, I'm not interested. So I didn't pick Jeff O'Neill either because he, he had these personal problems and, and a perceived stumble in the past that made me a little bit worried. I thought Luque was a, uh, a more regular and expected quantity quality. So I just, I did, I, I zigged when I should have zagged. Both John and I got that wrong. Luque, eventually, they hit this spot, hit this space and this place where they're like, I felt like, and the recall that I made on I Care Don't Care was like, I felt like a Shogun is the name that comes to mind against Johnny Boney Joni. These guys who fight like that, who have these absolute wars, I don't know. When it goes, it goes fast. And there's also that thing as well, like, well, why should I change? It's been working for me. Right. So you're not going to move your head off the center line and you get this guy feed you with uppercuts. Now, you were given as good as you got, but you never got, you were not going to win that fight. There were a couple of others. Uh, we disagreed on on Usman. Though that punch was deceptively powerful, it looked like I could have taken that punch any day of the week. This would, not with his dominant hand either. This guy tapped the guy, not even on the temple, but on the top of it, and dude was, yeah, he got a second shot in there, but dude was gone before that. Much more active fighter. I didn't like his stance, and I didn't see any of his wrestling. Steps that I should watch it again, I will. But, you know, these brother combos, you know, it's always, you know, I kind of made a comparison to the Pettises. You know, there's the one and the, uh, they're pretty close. And at this point, with two broken hands after flapping his gums about, oh, there's plenty of business elsewhere. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, my friend. Broken hands. I, I can't even think about that. However, let's think about that. Brushing your teeth, wiping your ass, masturbating. I think we're done with the broken hands conversation. Okay. Don't kill anybody. Don't drink before flying that plane. I don't know what you do for a job, Stiggy, but whatever. For those uh, who listen on SoundCloud, Stiggy is leaving to go to work. I'm hoping he doesn't fly his plane drunk, if that indeed is what he does for a living. See, if you just listen to SoundCloud, you think I'm going out of my mind with these personal asides. I'm responding to comments. To leave comments, you have to subscribe to the show. That's so you get the notification that there's going to be a show. I decide, no, nah, no, nah, no more looky-loos. You got to be in. You subscribe, you can leave all kinds of comments. And generally, it warns me if there's like cuss words in the comments, I have to okay it. So that's why I'm moving the hand over. I don't give a shit about the cuss words but I found that was an easy way to find dumbasses. So, uh, um, <laughs> oh, warehouses are good. Lots of stuff that falls off a truck said warehouses. So anyway, so we got, we have, um, but it's also like this weird uh, uh, ball, uh, 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 ball, um, bald one reality. And I'm thinking back when Anderson Silva beat Rich Franklin and he looked like he wanted to die putting the belt around him. In this case, we had two Brazilian fighters lost, but they lost to African-American cats 
who you know that the Baldwin dev never tries to sell and doesn't ever really believe are all American. Even when you had somebody like Daniel Cormier, who was in the, the, the Olympic representative, you know, yeah, no. So, um, so it was a great, it, it was a great night of fights until, you know, the woman who didn't have, who opened the car, who didn't have a lot of experience and um, uh, just beat the slop out of, the woman said, oh, my elbows were lying. She's scre- sitting on top of her screaming, dropping elbows. So happy to be there. Will not be rewarded. I mean, you know, you start to think. If I could do anything, what would I do? With no sanction, no penalty, what would you do? I mean, talk character is what you do when nobody's around to watch. Yeah, well, really? Nobody's really around to watch me a lot of the time, and I don't do a lot of shit because I could get punished for it. What do you clearly let's look at the people who are not concerned about punishment on? Look what they do. Donald Trump, Elon Musk. These people seem to be universally tools, douchebags. I said, okay, what about Warren Buffett? He could do whatever he wants. He was being a nice guy. You know, Bill Gates. Oh, really? Bill Gates? Let's ask Jeffrey Epstein how, how nice of a guy Bill Gates is. Or anybody who runs a casino in Vegas. Or his wife, X. Characters is what you do. Character is what you do when nobody's around. Character is what you do when you got a few billion dollars in the bank. That's character. <laughs> the, the rest of us are character free. I am motivated by not being punished. All right. Biggest threat you make to me is I will take all your money. Oh, whoa. But fundamentally, as a punk rock guy, I'm used to being broke. Doesn't hold as much fear. You take my money and don't take the guns. You got another thing coming. <laughs> you take the money and the guns, and then, then, then I got to do a lot of fast talking. So this last oofsie, yeah, it was sort of entertaining. I mean, um, I expect great things from Jeff O'Neill. Um, they He will achieve them without the organization being very much behind him, as usual. Maybe to get another Page Van Santa or Sage Northbutt. What Sage Northbutt? What Sage Northbutt? Uh, Jamal Hill got a tremendous upside. You know, you you know what the upside was for the Bronx bomber Joe Lewis. They got him a job in the men's room, handing people towels at a certain point. They asked him if after one of his fights he had any reaction, having made all that money and beat these guys. And his reaction was, "I'm glad I won, Mama." A de- within a decade, handing out towels in men's rooms. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I mean, I guess it starts with the fact that what kind of person that you would have. I mean, look, look, look. I, I don't even say that. That's wrong for me to say. I was going to say the type of person who's attracted in the first place. You know who's attracted in the first place? Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta. Now, I don't know them as men. I've only seen them at the fights when I've been cage side. But they seem like decent guys to me. Lorenzo more than Frank. I have never been in a situation where the Baldwin felt like a decent guy to me. 
when Frank and Lorenzo owned it, the Baldwin was more like he was when he first started, kind of ingratiating, kind of a guy, hired help. He hasn't been that guy for quite a while. Character. How could you not give these guys bonuses? And in his Brian Battles cat, I, I don't, I don't, he, the call out with Gary, uh, Gary and, uh, and Barbarino were good call outs. Um, but I just wish I felt better about these. I, why, why, I guess, why should it make a difference to me how much money they make? Why should I care? For the same reason that that moment in that porno flick where the guy squirts it with a water gun was so eminently satisfying because anybody with eyes to see knew it was real. Somebody once asked, do you like girl-on-girl pornography? I go, no, because then you have two people who are faking it. There was a great thing, a great cartoon where they, um, a friend of mine did um, not cartoon. She had this thing where she was art project where she wanted to do stamp addendums. So she made this series of national stamps that had all these varying themes and you could actually put them in your envelope. And she had this one, uh, girls tired of giving hand jobs. <laughs> um, and so the girl is actually on the stamp about the size of a normal stamp. She got artist friends of hers to do this stuff. Yeah, the woman like giving a hand job and her eyes are kind of rolled up in her head. And it was a two-stamp series. And a little thought bubble out of her head was she was thinking about like coffee or something completely unrelated. Again, in that hand job room at the time, there was only one person in it. So after we watched fight UFC fight nights, UFC fight nights. We're all excited and we're, we're, we're enthusiastically excited and engaged, right? Because we're all in this room together, <laughs> but we're not. We are, but the bald one is <laughs> not there. We're there alone. All of the platonic ideals, the good, the beautiful, the true, the stick in the sense world and, and creating of them, you know, the, the demiurge who takes the eternal ideas and makes them in the sense world, this kind of conversation with the divine that we think we're having, where we see, you know, par excellence, athletic competition with the, the humans taking all of this spirit and soul and their guts and just driving it into success. When we see that, we figure like we are now touching the divine. That's not what's happening. <laughs> I'm doing this because I want to better my career, your career. <laughs> your career you're working for the worst pimp in town that's your career so i don't want to be a nattering nabob of negativity but <laughs> the but the reality of it is you know <laughs> what type of comedian do you want do you want People that the essential truths that are dark and occasionally funny. Do you want Stickmeisters or do you want Gallagher and watermelons and big hammers? Because if you say, Oh, those two women that open a fight, there's no love lost between them. Stop it. How we think we're 12? You think we haven't been to this dance before? Just shut up. Just shut up with that. 
oh, there was a lot of heat in the in the in the in the, in the weigh-ins. And, yeah. and then who was that cat that was on the other side? Oh, who was the commentators last night? <laughs> Suddenly the camera widens out as they're doing Paul Felder as they're doing this, like, oh, oh, the camera widens out, and it's just some guy with a baseball hat. Who the fuck is that guy? What's it? What's he doing in there? <laughs> uh, we're alone in that room, man. And, and, you know, the Baldwin showed up last night. At least he was physically there. He checked the box. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Yeah, John, man. I don't blame him. How many of you have done a job for as long as he's done that job? Maybe the guy should get a little leeway. But if you're out, if you're thinking about something else, give him more money. But you can't because your new job, your new job that people don't pay attention to is as an executive at Endeavor. You know, the first fight organization I worked with was World Valley Tudo Organization. I was doing color commentary for them in St. Petersburg, Russia with the Red Devil fight team, Fedor's fight team. He brought me over. Federico Lapenda was his name. It was a fantastic promotion. At German, I was doing it for German TV. Fantastic. You know what Federico Lapenda is doing now? And as soon as he could, he became a film producer. The connection to Endeavor is not a mistake. The Dana White Contender Series, a TV show, is not a mistake. The, we never thought the UFC was a stepping stone to anything but a billion dollars will change a man's mind. How many hip-hop records is the Baldwin going to make? He doesn't know. But getting into production, getting into movies, getting into all of a sudden now he's siding with Mike Tyson over this thing with Hulu. If you don't think he's out there talking to Hulu, Amazon, all these companies, Netflix, that are now making movies, HBO Max, everybody needs to generate content because they've all started their own streaming services and they won't share. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Listen, these companies almost go out of business all the time. There's a guy I know who wrote this movie. I'm not even going to say the film company because we're still kind of friendly. Wrote this movie. And that single-handedly almost brought down a film. That it was their big deal. They put so like $130 million in this movie and it bombed. Um, brought the company to its knees. They're all, they're, these, are, these guys are gambling big. There's no, nobody at Apple is spending $170 million on a single project. Even the Apple TV thing, the movie thing, the guy, they're not doing that. Those are not the budgets they're getting. So and as you get you get Stranger Things, as you get the Squid Game, these games that are high concept, low cash, it's gonna be more of that in your future. I guarantee you, if the folks at Endeavor are thinking about professional bullfighting, bull riding, and this is who he holds truck with, don't you think he's found a stepping stone? Who do you think has been advancing these stories about who would take over the UFC if after the bald one? Would Daniel Cormier? You think Daniel Cormier is out there flapping his gums about wanting that gig? <laughs> Without being under the advisement of the bald one? 
Come on. Think about his next step. Dude's not about to retire at home and look at his wife. Money. Film is where the money's at. TV. And he can hang out with people he thinks are commensurate with his talents. That celebrities come to him for tickets. All these celebrities at a cage side are calling favors. Making movies. I can invest $30 million like I did with uh, uh, the key guy, uh, Jordan Peele. What's the return? Five times return. I don't have to deal with managers. I don't have to deal with snarky. I put it in Devers' hands. I'm clear. But what about us, bald one? What about us? What about us? Well, fuck you. I spend my money the way I want to. Famous last words. Huh. Yeah, the CEO of Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is a great film house. Look, I only work for Columbia and Sony. What do I know about Warner Brothers? Except was it was that the company that almost went belly up, funded my friend's misbegotten movie adventure? I don't know. I can't say. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Some of the stupidest people on this planet are working in film companies, making money that would make you cry. You think about how much talent it has to be a film person? I can show you a movie, any movie. And in 90 minutes from now, I can ask you what you thought about that movie. And you have a 50% chance of being right because there is no right. So we're in the room alone. We're on the ship alone. We're in the sport alone. And every one of those young Turks who was super excited just to be there. This is my world, my lifelong dream. You're there alone. I didn't want this show to be a downer. In light of the fact that we had something unprecedented. But no matter what, unprecedented, it was treated the same way and in the same way by, by, the, by the big, fat, poisonous toad that looms large over every aspect of this fucking sport. Unnecessarily so. Just because. <laughs> Just because. Anyway, this is version two to four, much like the comedy show I did on Friday night. While I'm not leaving you laughing, I'm laughing. But it's not a joyous, happy laugh. It's the, the, the bitter, hateful laugh of somebody who's so tired of being right, it makes him sick. <laughs> don't die. We got Monday afternoon. We have uh, Care, Don't Care. Watch it if you can. Uh, again, uh, uh, Tuesday, Alexi's still on vacation, so there is no if the shoes fit. However, Monday afternoon, if you connected to me on the Twitter machine, I will tweet out the next Wong Duty piece, which is an interview with Mike Patton. And it's one of my favorite interviews with Mike Patton. So you should be able to get it and read it, send it to a friend who likes real music. And uh, and uh, and you might enjoy yourself. Until then, the kid is still sleeping, so I'm not going to scream for the outro. But know this, know this now. Look what you made me do. Ah!